Welcome to the Island Podcast Then again, there's too few to mention This is a Salt Hill Media original podcast Bowie was given the song My Way, the chords of it, the structure yeah. of it And he was yeah. asked to write a melody and lyrics And he started writing this awful disastrous attempt at this song and then what happened was he sent it back to the the guys and then some time elapsed and he heard my way on the radio and they went oh there's my song and they went i don't recognize that melody i don't recognize those lyrics and then it slipped through <laughs> his hand it's paul anka he wrote the the winning formula so Bowie was really annoyed at this. I can't believe you don't know this story. <laughs> no, I don't know this story. I've so never heard this story. It's a good story. Bowie was so annoyed at this that he mm. he wrote his version of My Way, which ended up being Life on Mars. Ah. So if you listen to Life on Mars... Yeah, I guess it is. It's kind of that descending... Yeah, there's a real... There's a real um, Similarity. Na, na, yeah. Na, 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 na. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see that. Well, I'm glad they both exist. Yeah, it's not weird though because I always think of my way being a really old ass song, right? Yeah. And then I think of Sid Vicious's version of it, yeah, as being something that came up would be you know a long way away from the original, which was which was, they, which was arranged by Simon Jeffs of the Penguin Cafe Orchestra. Okay, carry on. But the point being is that weird idea if you have when you're little of like time differentiation, right? So you think, oh, my way, really, really old ass song. And then you think uh, also, you know, the Pistols, also a long time ago, but massive difference between the Pistols and my way. But re in reality, it was probably like five years. Pistols and my way. Uh, I don't know when my way was done. Probably should Google it. Well, if Bowie was like sent yeah, my way, 60, Bowie was 70. active... In the early 70s, yeah. but his very first active in 69, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So it's probably about five or six or seven years, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is nothing. Yeah. It's that weird thing that we're now further away from the Spice Girls than the Spice Girls were from, uh, or we're further away from Oasis than Oasis were from the Beatles. Yeah. Do you know what my kid said to me the other day? Think of a number, Daddy. Okay, think of a number. <laughs> he said, you're closer to zero than you are to infinity. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny, my kid. How old's your kid? I got two. He's thirteen and eleven. Really? Yeah. Mm. I got one eleven. Uh, um, no, that's the sort of shit he used to say. Yeah, yeah. He used uh, to say shit like that. My mind's haven't grown up much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's that's a good mindset to stay in. I think so. Uh, I think. So. I yeah. think you're still there. Yeah. Akira, it's the right place to be. That I'm, I'm aware of the faffing that we did, so I'm going to start this podcast. Faffing's good. Everyone likes I faffing. Know. That's why people listen to podcasts. It's for faffing. People like to think they've, they've got friends. Uh -huh. So they put on podcasts that sound like you're just hanging out with, with homies, right? Yeah. That's what it's really about. Yeah. You know what I mean? People don't need structure. Okay. Well, let's, I've done a few podcasts actually where I've hit record while there's ramblings, and then there's, it's like a zen recording mm. because there's no start and there's no end it's just like you're jumping in and you're jumping out the best ones are like that mm. that's how the best ones are i always just immediately just start recording right. oftentimes you know it is like the the most interesting stuff will be said in that fashion yeah like once it's all set up and more in the manner of like a news program or something that's what you get right yeah. it's like when the whole thing when they introduced cctv and uh reality tv around the same time and people started acting weird right yeah. You can trace the sort of genesis of a lot of our current cultural concerns back. So people started acting weird because they knew they were being filmed. Mm -hmm. It's like you act differently when you're aware that you're being recorded or, and you act differently if it's a podcast interview than you would if it's just a conversation with your homie that you haven't spoken to for 15 years. I think this is why mm -hmm. I like to record without video. I know we're doing video now for, you know, for the crack and for posterity. Because we're not face to face, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, well, that, it makes sense because we're using cameras to talk to each other. But if we were in a room, mm. yeah, like I wouldn't. Uh, be, yeah, if we we're in a room, I wouldn't be recording. Let me just quit this app, Pillar. I wouldn't be recording video if I was in the room with you. The ones that work well, uh, Sam Hyde, 
has his perfect guy live podcast and he just has like a bunch of uh like gopros around the room mm. and it's just sort of aimed and they just sit around and it's not like to a camera and it's not very well lit or anything like that they just have it recorded mm. almost like a cctv almost like yeah like you know in a shop or something yeah and then you have this more just like natural lad sitting around chatting about nonsense thing or or ladettes there's just always lads with them oh, okay I think they had a woman on once. Yeah. I, I mentioned yeah. there earlier about the best, uh, well, my Zen recording, which was uh, there's no start and no end. And the conversation mm. I'm thinking of was with Liam O'Mainly, who was a singer or who is a singer of Hot House Flowers. Very, fasc- oh, yeah. very fascinating dude. And what I did was I put microphones all around the room. And mm. then what happened then as a result of that was people came back and said that was a very interesting podcast because it felt like you're in the room and you're, it's a more immersive experience, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. And you were like, well, that's because it was. Yeah. You were in the room. You were there. Oh, it was a how, many ca- how many microphones did you do? I did, f- I got a piano here. So I did three and four in the piano, four in the piano, including the vocal. So I had a, uh-huh. ba- I had a bass in, in behind. And then I had a, a mic set up eight for each of the vocal on the sofa. And then I had um, a sort of room ambience mic. And maybe, oh yeah, another mic beside the piano, which is an old style ribbon mic. And that was, yeah, for in case he, excuse me, in case he uh, sang really loudly, I could turn down the vocal mic and then have that one kick in, you know. Mm. That's a wonderful way of sort of recording jam sessions and things. Yeah. That you can then take and turn into other things. A nightmare to mix though. Yeah. Well, it depends what you're doing, because if you're doing it for the purpose of just creating samples, which I find is a good way of using that kind of a situation, right? Yeah. Then you can take these, then you, if you're creating samples, then you're going to be manipulating them and doing things with them after the fact anyway, right? Yeah. If you're trying to do a whole thing just comprised of purely what was done there, then yes, that's very difficult mixing wise. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a cool thing to do to just get things that are unique yeah. as textures or to start things with. Okay, I'm going to jump into the, into the interview mode now. Oh, okay. We've done our we've done our Zen beginning. I like your jumper. Oh yeah, I bought it in China one day. It was very cold, and um, I, <laughs> I was just freezing. I need to get some warmth, so I went up to a store upstairs and just bought it. Yeah, I don't know if it's the Zoom filter, but I don't think I've seen you since like two thousand four, and you look exactly the same. I am exactly the same. You don't look any different at all. Yeah. I, I use this uh, lovely moisturizer, a, a, a nozzle, a nozzle, have you heard of it? No. A I nozzle or a, anus OL, anus OL. Uh, anus what? OL. Anus OL. Yeah, or anusol, some people call it that. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a, it's a moisturizer, but it's really a hemorrhoid cream, but I just use it all oh, over, okay. I use it all over my face. Really? And then, yeah. That's your secret. And you, you look very similar. Yeah, I don't use any moisturizer at all. I just, you know, wander around in the sun. Yeah. Um, I do everything you're not supposed to do. I do all the stuff they tell you will kill you. Yeah. Is what I do. You, you wear sun cream, yeah. though? No. Oh, man, you should do. My father's. No, I don't. Th- I honestly think like rubbing weird chemical cocktails on your skin and then baking it in the sun <laughs> is a stupid idea. So I just don't do it. Um, and well, that's like bro science, right? right? That's just my intuition. So yeah, like, yeah. I feel that just sounds retarded. So I don't do it. And increasingly, I don't know if you've seen, but there's things coming out about various sunscreens actually giving people cancer now. And now they've recalled certain brands in Australia recently and so on and so forth. Cause it yeah. turned out that my little, little hunch was actually correct, you know? Yeah. So well, I just wander around in the sun. Uh-huh. Uh, I eat meat and raw eggs yeah. and, uh, drink water. Uh-huh. And go and pick up heavy things and put them down again. You know that's basically my my regimen. Yeah, and I occasionally bleach my hair. That's the one bit of like vanity. Yeah, you know, um, beautification. I do. You, you trim your beard too. That I do I do go to a barber once every two and a half weeks, and he does do that. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And that bit there, that side bit. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I do that. Okay. Let's get into this. <laughs> People are probably said, "Who is this guy?" And that's that's how I start every interview. So I'll start it. <laughs> Who are you and what do you do? Well, I'm your old pal, uh, Akira the Don, and uh, I make music uh, is what I do. Um, I make, I guess, a kind of unique form of music that's, that's not like 
lots of music that you might listen to because a lot of the music I make samples uh, the spoken voice of individuals or I will take old texts, texts like uh, say Meditations by Marcus Aurelius and then I will turn that into a, into a song, well, into an album. I mean, actually two albums now. Yeah. So, uh, so sorry, Kyan. No, go on. That's no, it. So, uh, you know, the, the project is essentially distilling the wisdom of the ages into the most powerful delivery mechanism we know of, which is music. We'll get into that a bit more in a second. I just wanted to frame the conversation, which is the reason why I got in <laughs> touch with you was because whenever I think of Wales, you automatically mm. come to my mind. And St. Patrick being the patron saint of Ireland came <laughs> from Wales, they say. And yeah. we mark St. Patrick's Day on a huge day, but we don't mark St. David's Day in the same way. So that's why I yeah, my, my son was asking me about this yesterday because it's about to be St. David's Day, but it's also St. Patrick's Day quite soon. The 17th. And, yeah. yeah. And my son thinks uh, St. Patrick's Day is the worst holiday. Why? Because people just get drunk. He goes, it's a stupid holiday. People just get drunk and make a mess. He goes, that's a stupid holiday. And then my wife said, oh, it's St. David's Day um, this week or whatever. And he's like, oh, what'd you do for that? And she's like, well, you, I guess you... You get a daffodil, you wear a daffodil. He's like, that's worse than St. Patrick's Day. He's like, well, you don't even do get drunk. What do you even do? What's the point? So like, it is a good point, actually. I mean, there's people, well, the Welsh get prideful, you know, aren't they? Hey, we're Welsh. It's nice to be Welsh, you know, lovely. Great Here's singers. A I, had a fr- I have a friend who would hand out uh, daffodils at Brixton Station um, on St. David's Day. And usually people just like, turns fuck off you know he's trying he's like hey it's a davis day have a lovely have a flower you know and they're like fuck off you creep and um yeah i had uh, i had a great st davis day some years ago my friend who's welsh had some daffodils and i went out and bought some leeks <laughs> yeah that's a very welsh plan so yeah. i think it's your traditional it's your thistle effectively or your shamrock yeah i guess so the leek yeah just because you know it makes a, a mildly palatable stew yeah yeah. Well, hey. So what is your connection with Wales? You're not actually Welsh, are you? No, we just, uh, we moved there when I was two years old. So I grew up there. Um, you know, I was born in the Midlands, uh, in Brummagem, well, in West Bromwich. I was born in the same hospital as Phil Liner wow. from Finn Lizzie. Yeah, they knocked it down and turned it into a Safeways. So I thought that was very disrespectful. So forgive I me, I thought he was, I, I always, well, I thought he was born in Dublin, but... Uh, he, he obviously moved <laughs> no, he there. Wasn't. He obviously he moved was there. born in yeah. He was born in West. It was similar to me. You see, so he was born there, and then he went off. And uh, I was born there, and we moved to Wales when I was two. So I grew up in Wales. So you know, I learned to speak Welsh, and all my formative experiences were were there and in that context. And the context is like, fucking, uh, we moved. We went to Dufferin Nantla initially, which is a valley, you know. It's got so few people in there that your class at school is comprised of multiple years, and there's only about 15 kids in the one class, you know. And we had an outdoor toilet, stuff like that. You know, it was very cool. Yeah, and we we were surrounded by slate mountains, you know, and it just all looked like uh, Lord of the Rings. And depending on what time of year it was, it's like, oh, I'm in Hobbiton. Oh, now I'm in Mordor, you know. It was like that. Do you have a a shuck? Do you know what a shuck is? A shuck? Aye. It's like no. a, it's a ditch. It's the edge of a field between oh, the field and the and the and the hedge. And uh, we used to play. Is that what you call that? We used to. Is that what you call that? Yeah, shock. It must be. Yeah. Uh, it must be um, one of the Scots. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, Scots Gaelic uh, te- words. Mm, so we would dodge it, or did you run around the mucky yeah. puddle? Did you ever play that? Oh yeah, all that stuff. And we had a lake around at the back of the house. So we initial place we lived was on a terrace. And uh, on the back of the terrace was a lake, you know, so we'd go play in the lake. And between the, the, the terrace and lake was like bramble bushes, you know, so you'd just jump in the bushes and all that sort of thing. Uh-huh. And uh, then we moved to um, Anglesey and, uh, like, lived in a few different places in Anglesey. At one point, I lived in Penmont by a quarry. Uh, and uh, it's this little island at the top of Wales is Anglesey. And I lived by this quarry, and, like, once a year, people would congregate from all over the world to have a big rave in it. And the local police would try and stop him, but there was only like two local police, you know. So like the lo- one of the local farmer guys, they'd pay him to go and like stick some big rocks to stop the police being able to come down. And sometimes the farmer would get angry with the police, you know, for whatever reason. And one time he he took his tractor and this police had come to bother him, you know, and uh, he 
pushed him down the hill on his tractor, this big-ass hill, and the hill ended at a little cliff that then went into the sea. He pushed the police in his police car off this little cliff into the sea. And for some reason, they never arrested this guy. Everyone was just scared of this farmer. One time, he shot at me, you know. He, he had these dogs. He'd set his dogs on you. He was a crazy, crazy guy. He used to beat his wife. Then he got a new wife, and she was from Birmingham. And she was, like, big and tough, and she basically, like, put him in check and changed his ways. That's nice. Um, by, you know, he met forced, his match with that one. Forced redemption. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, and we used to, like, you know, we, we had forests and things like that. There was, I lived in Bimaris by, by these castles, you know? Yeah. We used to live next to medieval castles. Yeah. So we would play in the medieval castles. And when you get to the age of you doing a bit of boozing, you know, when you're like 14 or whatever, you hang around graveyards with your Thunderbird 50-50 and all that type of stuff, right? We used to break into the castle, you know? So we climb up the castle wall, which is high, you know? But you can do that with a medieval castle due to the nature of the brick, yeah. right? You can, you can hold on to that thing. So purchase. you climb at the castle wall, we go in, then we'd open up the gates, right? Then we'd wade through the moat, and then we'd get the girls and we'd put them on our shoulders with little backpacks with the booze in, and then we'd go and hang out in the castle, you know? And that's where we would party. Royalty. In the medieval castles. And so how did our worlds collide? Whose worlds? Mine, oh, ours. Mine and yours. Yeah, we collided in in, um, in in London, didn't we? We collided in Dawn of the Millennium London. That's right. You know, Y2K era, yeah. uh, when all the computers were like see-through and lime green, you know, and there was that weird sort of futurism going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, that uh, that strange optimism that was also, because no, we didn't all die, yeah. right? Yeah. On January 1st, 000. Yeah. No, but we didn't all die. And people are like, oh, cool. And we've got, we've got IMAX and we can make music on laptops all of a sudden. Like, what the fuck? It was a, str- it was a, it was a feeling in the air, right? Yeah. And we were all in this bit of London that was a bit of, a, that was, you know, a sort of industrial shithole that was about to be gentrified. But we were there before all that, right? That's right. There was only like, when I was first down there, it was only 93 feet east where you could get a drink in that whole area That's right. pretty much. Yeah. Brick Lane, you this know? was. Yeah, this is Brick Lane. Yeah. You had your bagel shops. Uh, I was at one point. I was living in this little flat there above, which was the flat that uh, used to be um, the Cray's mum's house. Mm. You know, I used to live in the, the Cray's mum's house. You know, wow. and the place did feel very haunted. Um, but yeah, we met there. We was working in uh, an interesting sort of futuristic sort of place that was involved in a bunch of things tangential to the music that, industry. That factory was an abattoir. Yes, of course. Yeah, you had these here, you had these here tr- yeah. trenches for blood, you know. Yeah, 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 I remember that. Oh, my God. I remember I used to, like, sometimes I'd be drunk and, I, you know, sometimes I'd just go sleeping there, you know. Right. And then the big garage bit, they had all this foam. Do yeah. you remember all that? Yeah. And these massive rolls of foam for some reason from, from a previous activity in that factory, right? Uh-huh. And I would, like, nestle a burrow into a big roll of foam yeah. and, like, sleep there when I was drunk. And then just go to work in the morning, you know. And uh, what so. was your work? <laughs> well, I was sort of did a lot of liquid acid, you know. And, um, <laughs> you were hunter as Tom- you were hunter as Thompson. I was I was doing that. I was a little little hunter as Thompson wannabe in the music industry world. It was a combination of things. I'd had this idea when I was little. Uh, I wanted to make music, and I used to read a lot of music magazines. And back then, there was an internet. And the way you got into being able to make music was you had to get a record deal. And you, you got a record deal was you made a demo and you send it to a record company and then they'd ignore it. There'd be a big pile of demos. And I yeah. read enough music magazines to discover that the only way people sort of got signed and stuff was usually by like knowing people or some kind of happenstance or something. So my plan was to go to London and, uh, and get and be, do some music journalism because I was already doing a bit of that. I had a fanzine. You know, I made my own comics. I used to review singles in the back of them type thing. So I had this plan to go to London and do that so I could then, you know, do music. And that's basically what happened. But I ended up at the place where I met you because uh, the lads who owned that sort of saw me at some gigs and things and thought I'd be good, a good person to present a TV show they were putting together. So they hired me for this other thing just to sort of get me because they wanted me to present some TV show. So I ended up becoming a sort of weird little internet music journalist and then most of what i was doing was sort of wandering around sort of causing trouble and then writing about it you know getting in scrapes and that sort of thing doing that whole gonzo journalism thing yeah basically. But, i remember your weekender columns they were just so yeah crazy yeah yeah 
Yeah. It's and funny, right? Because you couldn't get away with any of that now. Probably but also, that. like, it yeah. wouldn't exist now because nowadays everything's got to be filmed. Everything's got to be a vertical video. Mm. You know what I mean? People aren't <laughs> writing columns. Yeah. You know? People aren't reading sort of... People used to get really excited about I'm really excited to read my columns, right? Yeah. Remember that shit? People cared about things like that. Talk about Crack Village then. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was I had a, that was the band that I formed on the dawn of the millennium when we didn't all die, you know. And I woke up and I said, "Hey, well, I said, hey, we should we should have our own band. Bands are rubbish. We should have our own band, and it should be a rap group, and it should be basically like a punk rap group, right? So we've all got to learn to rap and uh, and do this punk rap group, and uh, we'll be cartoons. I'll draw the cartoons." I said initially, and then Gorillas ripped me off, you know. Yeah. But um. It's true. It's Lois, uh, our singer, uh, Lois Winstone, Ray, Ray Winstone's daughter, daughter yeah. was hanging around with Jamie Hewlett and she told him about our idea. Wow. You know? Now, maybe they had the idea as well. I'm yeah. sure lots of people have the same idea at the same time. It always happens. Yeah. It's like the steam engine was invented by seven different people at once all over the world. Sometimes it's just... The second most gets a cheese. Yeah, that's true. You know, Lego was stolen. There was another company that invented Lego and Lego just in the same town and Lego was like, Oh, we'll do that. And we got a bit more money for marketing and we can also crush this other person mm. by doing some sneaky shit. So anyway, yeah. um, but yeah, anyway, so that was that, that rap group, you know, and it was uh, a cool punk rap group. And I, I was telling this story on the stream on my stream yesterday, but you played with us at our first gig. That's right. You know, which is which is quite magical. But like my bandmates didn't want to do a gig; they didn't think we were ready. You know, and I was sick of waiting. I was sick of you know just rehearsing all the time. But nowadays, people make songs because everyone just goes in the studio. Everyone's got a studio. Everyone makes songs. Back in the day, people used to just go rehearsal rooms, didn't they? Yeah. You know, and they would just sort of rehearse, and very occasionally get enough money to go into a studio and record some terrible demos that no one would ever hear. Yeah. But anyway, so we used to rehearse a bunch. But I wanted to do a gig. And they were like, oh, we're not ready. So I booked a gig without telling anyone. And then like a week before the gig, I like put a notice on, on our thing and put a thing and add in the NME or something. And I was like, look, we've got a gig, so we've got to do it. And they're like, you fuck, how dare you? <laughs> we don't have any songs. I was like, yeah, we got a couple. We'll just make some more, you know? So we did, and we did the gig. And you played guitar for us. And I don't know why. I can't remember why. I was wearing a Spider-Man costume. And you was wearing like a clown costume. And you were on stilts playing the guitar, weren't you? I, I was going through that phase. <laughs> so we were, and I don't remember why you did that. It's like nothing about my interactions with you in the office suggested that you would wear a clown outfit and, well, I, and, and go on stilts. I funded my university by being a clown. By being <laughs> That a, makes sense. I was a stilt walker or else I was making mm. balloons. So mm. I was doing both, but usually one or the other. Um, mm. I was, you know, no, at the same time. Well, I did at the start, but then I found I was just standing there on stilts handing out balloons. <laughs> so it was like one or the other from then on, you know. Well, it was very impressive. And, you know, I got very drunk for the, you know, nerves, all yeah, that type of thing. Yeah. And uh, I was I was sick on the headlining band's uh, amp, bass amp, um, halfway through like the second song or something. And I do recall that when the set finished, and you were looking very happy, I thought we were still on like the third song or something, third or fourth song, but we'd, we'd actually finished. You know, and that was that. And then afterwards, everyone's like, that's amazing. London will never be the same again. Oh, my God. And we got booked a bunch of other shows. Then we went and yeah. did Cargo and 93 Feet East and all these places. And, Talk about your and, connection uh, with Lemmy. Huh? Your connection with Lemmy. What do you mean, my connection? You, you met Lemmy a few times. I did meet Lemmy a few times. Didn't he christen you? How do you mean? He gave you a name. Oh, fuck, he did. What was it? Alphabet. That's true, isn't it? Yeah. Because you were spelling your real name. And he, yeah. said, and he said, oh, yeah. He said, what? God, I'd, I'd forgotten that. Bloody hell. Because, yeah, so my journalist name was Adam Alphabet, wasn't it? Uh, but it, my real name was Adam, Adam Narkiewicz. And he goes, oh, call him Alphabet because that's got all the letters in the alphabet in it. I think the story was, I'll, I'll remind you because. <laughs> <laughs> I've completely forgotten that. So you're, he said, what's your name? Narkiewicz. He says, what? Narkovich. Spelled. So you're N A R K I V I C Z. And he said N A R K I E W I C Z. Yeah, and yeah. he and he said, That's got all the letters of the alphabet in it. And then you took that out yes. of alphabet. Yes, that was it. Good lord, I'd completely forgotten that. 
Yeah, and then I had a had a sort of like fun time hanging out with him at a festival one time. Um, yeah, I've forgotten about all that. Yeah. There's lots that I don't remember from that time period yeah. due to the you know the. So fast forward. The next I hear <laughs> of you, next big headline I hear from you is you get a deal with Interscope. Mm. How on earth? And you're living in LA. So what happened there? Mm. Well, it, 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 I was in that group and uh, I got bored of waiting for them to like, what, it was one of the guys in that band would make the beats. And like I said, you know, I was having to do trickery to get them to play a gig. You know what I mean? And I, I, all this stuff. But I wanted to do it. I was like, like push them off the cliff in the tractor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got sick of like waiting for them to do stuff. So I was like, Fuck it, I'm going I'm to teach myself to make my own beats and music and stuff. Uh, so I did. And then I made the first song I made, I put it at the end of one of my columns. And then uh, a bloke from a record company hit me up and he's like, oh, that's great. You got any more? I was like, yeah, I got loads. He's like, all right, come and meet me at Groucho or something, like some posh place in London. He's like, on like Wednesday. So I was like, Fuck, I better make some songs. So like I made some songs, one of which was that Oh What A Glorious Thing song, which yeah. people like still, um, and then met with him. And uh, he's like, oh, you're great. Da, 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 da. I want to sign you to my little indie label. Um, but it was an indie label, you know, so they didn't have much in the way of um, sort of resources. And I had all these grand plans, you know, but I was like, huh, I know what I'll do to like make myself sort of uh, exciting and what have you. Like you're never going to be uh, a guru in your hometown, right? You ever hear that yeah, expression? Yeah. And I'd recently noticed a bunch of like American bands, New York bands like The Strokes coming to the U UK. Well, not being cared much for where they came from. Bob Marley. They come to the UK. Bob Marley. People used, to, people used to do that. But at that time, yeah, Jimi Hendrix, great example mm -hmm. of that. But just at that time, I'd just seen The Strokes do it. You know, no one gave a fuck about The Strokes in the US. They come to London, people go, whoa, a band from New York, how exciting. So I was like, if I went the other way, I could do like maybe do reverse Strokes. They'd think I was cool because I was British and I was rapping and I had long hair and stuff. Mm. That might be interesting to them because mm. that no one did that at that point. No one at that point was like rapping over guitar loops and and all that sort of stuff, There's, which became very popular with people like Little Peep years later. Um, but anyway, so I rang up my bank and I sort of chatted up the lady at the bank um, and did a lot of what I now recognize to be excellent persuasion tactics, um, you know, and they lent me like a grand or something, or 600 quid or something like that. And uh, I flew to the US, you know, and I had this demo CD, which was the songs I'd made for that guy. And I sent it to my mate. And uh, his girlfriend was playing it. She cut hair in New York. And some guy who was getting his hair cut happened to be a guy at a record label. And he was like, what is this? This is amazing. And next thing I know, I'm in Miami. And I was uh, just, I was over there like going to clubs and I had this microphone stuck in a He-Man sword. And I was running up in clubs and just like rapping over people's DJ sets. And that was my big, like, I'll just, this'll get me something. <laughs> and then my, I go to the Everglades with my mate um, for an afternoon. I come out, my phone's going crazy, my old Blackberry. Um, and uh, like Jimmy Iovine wants to fly me to LA and he thinks I've like, and Madonna's lawyer wants to sign me and all this craziness was going on. Um, so that all happened very quickly. Jimmy Iovine's like, you're gonna do to rap music what the Beatles did to rock and roll. Duh, 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 duh. And uh, you know, he was right in the end. <laughs> uh, it just took, it took a little longer. Yeah. Know? So then you're, you're now you're totally independent. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Cause I was, so I made a record for Interscope and I went out and I lived in New York and LA and made an album with lots of big producers and they spent a quarter of a million dollars on it and all this sort of thing. And I was having meetings with the press departments in LA and we had this whole idea at that point I had that twiddly mustache. You remember right, yeah, yeah. I had a twiddly mustache and long blonde hair. So the idea was that we were going to basically graffiti other people's billboards Mm. and like spray blonde hair and a twiddly mustache on everybody. Mm. And we were, we were going to make these big stickers and put them over everyone else's adverts. There was this whole advertising campaign ready. But uh, anyway, then they suddenly one day I got a message saying that they, I'd had this meeting with Ivy and it was kind of weird, right? Cause 50, he was editing a 50 cents movie, which is weird, right? Cause he's not the director or the editor of 50 cents movie, but I go to his office to have this meeting with him and he's got 50 cents movie on a big screen, which hadn't come out at that point. And he's going, yeah, get rid of that bit, change that bit. Da, 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 da. And uh, we played him some of the songs we'd recorded. He really loved, you know, my demos. 
And a lot of the songs are recorded were quite political. I had a song called Thanks for All the Aids and another one called <laughs> Bankers, right. which is... I had one that was that predicted the uh, financial collapse of 2008 in great specific detail. I had another one that sort of outlined the uh, pedophilic nature of the controlling powers of the Western world and this, that, and the other. And uh, he was doing this funny face, and he's like, at the end, he goes, "All right, this is all this is all well and good." He goes, uh, "Put him in with Will I Am, all right? Will I Am can make some hits." So I was like, and then that didn't happen. And then I get this call saying, well, "Yeah, did you, you, know, did you meet not- Will I Am?" No, that never happened for whatever reason. Okay, I thought you meant he, he made the hits and then they didn't happen. So the first, no, he was like, okay. he was like, put him in with Will I Am yeah. and go do some stuff with Will that I Am. First, so that, that point, first Will thing I Am didn't was, happen. yeah. And the Will I Am thing didn't happen. Then I got a phone call saying, look, they're not going to put this out, all right? So you need to change the lyrics. Hmm. And I was like, I ain't going to change the lyrics. And at that point, one of my songs, that Oh What a Glorious Thing song, had been put in this movie with Uma Thurman hmm. uh, called My Super Ex Girlfriend. It was quite big. Mm-hmm. And they played it at the moment when her and Eddie Izzard snog, which is pretty weird. Ooh. But I got I got quite a bit of money from that. So basically I used the money to buy the album back from Interscope and go independent. And was that tough? Yeah, it was, but I did it. The whole thing was tough. When I first signed with them, uh, they just wanted to give me a load of money and then have me record the record in their studios. And I wanted to get an advance on some of the money uh, to build my own studio Keep and get my style. own equipment. And they didn't let people do that then, mm. right? That was very frank. Because the, the part of the whole system is like, they give you an advance, mm. but then you spend that advance in their studio. Studios. So they're kind yeah, of double yeah. dipping. Man, I, was right? just so talking, the money back. I was just talking to a guy who, did, who had this here spun on him in the 1960s. So, okay. yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, crazy. they were still doing that in 2005 or whatever that, whenever that was. Mm. But anyway, I eventually convinced them because it was part of like, I will not sign with you if you do not agree to that. And I took a much smaller regular advance um, and, spent the, and spent that on equipment, which is, I mean, I'm literally still using the microphone I bought with that money. Mm. You know, I've used that microphone in every one of my records since. Um, and a few other bits and bobs. So anyway, that all worked out cool. But yeah, I was then I went independent, and then I spent the then a lot of time, basically up until now, working out how to essentially be a one-person record label thing in this new world. You know, and how did Mexico enter the fray? Well, that was because I was living in the USA. We moved to the USA in like 2014. Uh, me and my family. That's when I moved to China. <laughs> I was there for eight years. Yeah. Okay. That's about the same. Okay. Yeah. So the same. That's funny, isn't it? And I I often say how China and USA are very similar. They they love Uh their flags. They both think they're the best country in the world. Yeah. 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 Their people are just so patriotic. Well, it's, you know, they're both at similar stages. Like, well, the USA is kind of like where the UK was in like uh, 1902 currently. You know, which is when Victoria died, and um, America was ascendant. The USA was ascendant at that point, right? So it was that transfer of power from the existing global superpower to another superpower. Currently, the USA is now, you know, a hundred, uh, however many years into its empire, a period of like of uh, empiric activity, and China fancies themselves as the next one, right? Mm-hmm. So it would make sense that they have a lot in common mm-hmm. uh, in certain yeah. regards. So, but anyway, yeah, so you were in China and I was in the USA at the same time. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was purely, um, you know, you get these visas, it's the O1 Artist of Extraordinary Ability visa, and you have to re-up it every three years. And I had this new visa and it was 2021. Um, and the, you just pop out the country, you go to the nearest embassy, you get it stamped, and then you come back in. Mm. Because it was Tom Hanks disease time. Uh, Explain it was that all again. These, that was... Whatever, uh, uh, explain, I heard that before. So explain. You remember, explain. you remember like back in 2020? Yeah. Remember in 2020? There was a disease. Like Tom Hanks got that disease and then everyone started freaking out. Right. Do you remember that? Shit? Not like, really. That was the first time I saw it was Tom Hanks getting it. Oh, you remember I was in China, so I couldn't see the internet. Well, so in China, it was funny because we were seeing videos from China. This was in um, 2019. So we're seeing the videos from China of people just collapsing in the street, right? Right. And then you're hearing these reports of people in China with this horrible disease. Yeah. And they've barricaded them in their houses so that the disease doesn't spread, right? Yeah. And people are just dying in their buildings. And everyone's like, what the fuck is going on in China? And then suddenly, Tom Hanks gets sick. Right. Everyone's like, oh, fuck. oh no, 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 no. And then like everyone went mad, you know, and they started like, 
not letting people out of their houses and making people like strap cloth to their faces and uh, and stuff. And then they were like saying, right, now you've got to inject yourself with this weird experimental, uh, you know, sort of, uh, what's it called? Powerpuff Girls serum or something, right? Right. You know what I mean? It was all very weird. It was a weird time uh, in the West and uh, presumably in China as well. well um, I, I was in China, so I couldn't actually see what was happening in China. So. No, you didn't. <laughs> but they didn't barricade you in your house. I don't recall it. Yeah. I don't know. No, you think you'd do, do, remember do, something like that. Do you know the weird thing was I actually I I actually escaped every lockdown. But I was always uh-huh. waiting for that tap on the shoulder saying, Come here, you're off to the mm. off to the lockup for for you, you know. And But they never No Yeah, they, I mean it was yeah. It was weird where we was. There was I was in LA, you know. And then one day you, they just shut down all of LA. It was like one night I'm DJing and then my manager's like, I don't know if we're gonna be open tomorrow, you know. I just had a weird message from yeah. One of his higher up, you, the police tip you off for things in the LA sort of scene, or you, some council people will tip you off, you know. And then the next day, they shut down the whole city. No one was allowed, no venues were open. They shut down the building that my studio was in. They're like, you have to be out by seven o'clock. Yeah. Like everyone in this building, they're like making fashion, they're making some of Kanye's stuff in there. There's all everyone's like them. Their machines are being pulled out of the place. Right, right, right. It was fucking crazy. Mm. Then the military were all out. Uh, then they were setting fire to where I lived in, in Melrose and all this type of shit. It was fucking wow. very mental. And we were like, fuck this, let's go to Texas. Because like, I don't want my son having to deal with all this weirdness. They're trying to make you wear masks walking outside and shit like that. I was having the police shouting at me all the time. But fuck it, we'll go to Texas. So we moved to Texas. But anyway, um, and then I had that... that uh, <laughs> We got the the visa re-up. You know, we've been in Texas for, for a year and it's lovely. Um, built a studio, built another studio, you know, relocated, da 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 But it's just, you know, go out, get your things stamped, come back in. So we go to Cancun because I'd always wanted to go to um, Mexico and I particularly wanted to go to Cancun because I like Pulp Fiction, you know? Yeah. And at the end of it, they go Cancun. Yeah. I was like, well, that'd be nice. But on uh, the eve of my wedding, I remember thinking, in 10 years, I'm going to take my wife to Cancun. And weirdly enough, it was 10 years, you know? So anyway, we go to Cancun. And then it's like, because of Tom Hanks' disease, it's, uh, we can't get a visa appointment as quickly as we normally would, so we had to hang around in Mexico for a bit. And then the uh, that creepy old animatronic bloke they've got pretending to run the USA decreed that you were not allowed back in the USA if you'd not been vaccinated with that Powerpuff Girls thing. You know, and I hadn't. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, you know, I don't okay. even wear sunscreen, do I? So yeah. like, I ain't, getting, I ain't getting Powerpuff stuff. Yeah. So they wouldn't let let us back in, you know, so we decided to stay in Mexico and then we rebuilt here and I've literally just finished building this studio that I'm in now um, after working out of Airbnbs and shit for the past couple of years. What? How long have you been in Mexico now? Since then, since 20, since May, May 21. 21. Um, so all our shit is still there. We still, we had to, we had to like pack up our house after spending, after paying for this house for a year, realized we're not going to be able to get back. So we had to pack it up remotely via FaceTime and all this type of shit and put everything in storage and the whole studio. I had two studios, you know, I had a green screen studio, a music studio, yeah. like all this stuff. Wow. And all that is still in Texas. Wow. So literally I had to rebuild from scratch over here. From Are like, you paying rent there or is it bought or what, what's the crack there? Where? What, here? Yeah, in, Texas, in Texas. Yeah, we was renting there. So, so we basically paid. So, so we paid. There. It was all sitting there for, in the house for a year. We were paying a gardener to come around and keep the, do the, that shit and all that, thinking we were going to be able to come back. Yeah. And eventually had to give it up. So the stuff is now all in storage. Right. Um, My word. In, te- in Texas. Yeah. You know. So let's cut to the chase with Meaning Wave, because I'm looking at the time. <laughs> We've got about 10 minutes or so left. Um, meaning Wave. And, I mean, you've recorded with... I've got a list of people here. It's like a shopping list. <laughs> you've recorded tracks featuring... Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, Alan Watts, David Goggins, Elon Musk, Tom Waits, Jacob Willink. So Tom, Lots of people. It's actually like a uh, hundred, I think just over a hundred now. And explain your hyper, hyper, hyper productivity and meaning yeah. wave. Well, there's a couple of things. But so, okay, hyper productivity. You, you know, you haven't been in the zone. Yeah, Cormac. flow, flow. Yeah, you know that shit when it's like, wow, everything just works and it's just magical and glittering and everything you do is brilliant, right? Yeah. I remember this was something I learned from being a music journalist, right? Was I used to, 
You remember the darkness? Yeah. I yeah. used to. You used to watch bands, right? And a band would come out. Their first album would be brilliant, right? And all the B sides would be brilliant. Yeah. Oasis were like that, right? Like every song was amazing. Well. And then they get to like second album, and there's like ooh, some problems. And by the third one, they're fucking. It's like what happened? Well, what happened was that they were in the zone. Yeah. They were rehearsing every day together. They were in this place. They got all these habits, and they were creating every day, right? And then they get signed, and then the record label sends them out on tour and they start doing coke and all this type of stuff and they fall out of the zone. Mm. And sometimes they cannot find their way back, right? Mm. I remember my, our friend, The Darkness, who, you know, they were coming up around the time we was do, all doing our thing in London. I used to hang out with those lads. That's right. And they, they were amazing. They, all their songs were brilliant. And they finally cracked it and blew up and got a deal. And uh, then, you know, they went fucking mad and got to play out all their rock star fantasies. And when it came time to try and make the second album, they'd come they had no idea how to get back to that place that they once occupied. Mm. And it just all fell apart quite spectacularly, you know? So anyway, I was like, all right, so I'm doing this. I invented meaning wave. It's going good. Um, I'm like, I feel like I'm in the zone. I was like, huh, what if I just like, I don't want to, what if I just were stay here? Right. And what if I, in your studio, well, in, in the zone, right. Okay. You're in the zone. I'm like, what if I just get, get, make sure I'm get in the zone and just never leave. And then momentum, presumably, would uh, increase things and things would sort of get better and more powerful and you'd get deeper into this place and be able to do like better and better stuff, right? Mm. Um, that was the idea. And I think I was like, all right, well, what, how do you get in the zone and what gets you out of the zone? And it was like, well, the thing that gets you out of the zone is usually some kind of, is A, leaving, going off and doing something else. B, friction, right? Friction will pull you out of the zone. So I just started engineering things so that like, I was just always able to sort of create and keep doing it every day, just doing something, even if it's something tangential, just to stay in that place, uh, not overthink things, just to move on, work on instinct, right? And just do that. So the overthinking a thing will pull you out, right? Mm. Even thinking about a thing in a way will pull you out sometimes. It's just really best if you're just moving like a shark, just constantly and just do not fucking stop. So that was the idea. And uh, it worked out pretty well because I've done... Um, Hundreds of since that, which was February 2018, there's going on 700 songs, over 100 albums. Uh, it's literally never been the case. It used to be, you know, I'd make music and some of it was good and some of it was bad. I'd throw some of it away or what have you. I've not thrown everything I've made has been great and I've released, apart from stuff that's waiting to be released, of which there is a great deal mm -hmm. for reasons of copyright or what have you. Mm -hmm. And when I look back upon this period, I, it's all fantastic. Oftentimes you look back on your work and someone's a bit cringy or you mm. do it a bit different or you don't like it or what have you, right? All of this stuff's fantastic. Mm. Even though I know I would do a lot of it differently now because I'm different now. Mm -hmm. So I found that working in that manner was very effective and uh, I've been able to, you know, do a lot more. Our old friend Paul Hitchman, I remember him saying, because I used to make all these mixtapes and he's like, but I would labor over the albums. I would take ages to do an album, but I would make shitloads of mixtapes. He's like, you should be more like Frank Zappa. He's like, just, just do stuff and put it out. Like, and that, that would be good for you. And uh, he was right. Paul and I shared a love of Captain Beefheart. Was there? Paul and uh, Paul and I. Paul and you shared a love of Captain Beefheart. Captain yeah. Beefheart was similar, right? How many records did Captain Beefheart put out? Well, he, yeah, he was hyper productive for a while, but then he got into painting, and that took over, and he realized <laughs> that music was just, you know, that quote from uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Mm -hmm. Do you know the one? The one about what the music industry being like a yeah. Full uh, of foul gutter trap of, of some, I can't remember yeah, how he put it, but yeah. People, there's, there's snouts in the, in the sewers and all the rest. And, and yeah, well, and, you know, and, we know that to be true. Look at this this P. Diddy stuff that's just come out. Yeah. Well, you say just come out, but that we knew. Uh, it's a disgusting hellhole. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking it up because it's too good. Hunter has some music quote. Okay. Yeah, it's like a money, foul money trench or something. The music something. business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also, <laughs> there's also a negative there's side. Also a, there's also a negative side. <laughs> it's so true. God, it's so true. Yeah. So, Meaning Wave, yeah. what is it? Well, as we kind of touched on earlier, it's this music I've been doing in which I'm sort of incorporating the wisdom of the ages via the most powerful uh, delivery mechanism that we know, which is music, right? And I, we know this because uh, how did you learn your ABCs? By talking, by hearing, by practicing. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, na, 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 right? Mm. A, lot of, uh, a lot of learning, particularly when you're little, is done via rhythm and music, right? Mm. And you realize, and a lot of it's textual, and that's a lot more diff difficult. Uh, 
the printing press, everything we people are freaking out about AI at the moment, right? Because oh, everything we invent always has a dark side and it, and it has the other side and it always takes away as much as it gives us. Mm -hmm. And the printing press, we think, oh, it's so amazing. It took away a great deal. And one of the things that it took away was our oral tradition, mm. right? People used to like be able to memorize whole bits of books and epic poems and this, that, and the other. And you'd hang around the fire and you'd say the verse of Gilgamesh and the next person would say it and so on and so forth. Like the only people who carry that much text in their head these days is rappers. And the only reason rappers can carry that much text in their heads is the, the rhythm and the associated little bits of melody, which hook it all together, right? So music is a very, very powerful way of learning things and imbuing things and uh, taking in complex ideas that you may only don't understand at the time. But because of the melody and the rhythm, you'll keep listening, it'll keep percolating around in there until you do ultimately understand it. You know, mm -hmm. I have people, they write to me, they say, oh, that one Alan Watts record of yours, I've been listening to it since 2018. I just understand what it means now. Mm. And had they listened to the, just the lecture, they'd have listened to the lecture once, it had gone over their fucking head, they'd have thought that was pretty cool, they'd never listen to it again. Yeah. But you turn that thing into a song, they can keep listening to it and they remember it and so on and so forth. It'll play around in their subconscious until it finally makes sense. I love that Jordan Peterson one, Clean Up Your Room. Aye. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's yeah. it's so so true. You know, you clean up, you'll find something else better to do after at the end of it. Yeah. Well, the the idea being, yeah, that you know, your your immediate surroundings are a reflection of your internal. Yeah. Um, and if you fix what you can fix yeah. first, then you can start moving out. <laughs> into the world and do a bit better and do a bit more. Do you know that actually directly inspired the Ireland podcast? No. Absolutely. Um, I really? Was, I was thinking with media companies, there's enough badness in the world. Why, mm. why don't I actually try and sort it myself? You know, mm. like, like, so I moved to Ireland and I got my kids into school and all the rest. And then I was thinking, how, come, how can I now make a positive impact upon my community? you know, um, because I was living in China and I felt like mm. I, I didn't feel I could do that. A lot of it was language and other things, as you can imagine. So, mm. so what happened was I started, um, I came here, I wanted to start up a dad rock uh, school. So um, oh, like, like school of rock? School of rock, but for dads. Dads, <laughs> okay. dads, you never got a chance to get in a band. Right, so, right, right. So, wanted to, because I was doing that in China, I was teaching kids, so it was, you know how to play ACDC and you know Hans Zimmer's Batman and all the rest. And then I was, <laughs> I was thinking, right, well, let's do that, but with dads who never who missed the boat for for rock for the rock band. Yeah, yeah, and have got a bit of regret. Yeah, feel and, like what did I miss? Da, exactly. Da, da. And I, and I, I was all getting this idea, and then my cousin said, you know, you're going to need planning permission. It's not going to take off. I was like, oh no, she's right. So I was thinking, what else can I do? And I, I'm a teacher, so I was waiting for the phone to ring. The phone wouldn't ring, you know, like, because I don't have a Gaelic um, qualification, so I can only do mm. substitute teaching. So I was waiting for the phone to ring, and I, I was thinking, I could do a podcast, because that's what kept me sane in China, was mm. listening to podcasts. I had a million voices in my head saying, don't do it, don't do it. And then I had a million <laughs> one voices in my head saying, do it, do it. Mm -hmm. So they won. So I started up the Galway. <laughs> I started up the Galway podcast, and it, you know the traffic was going all right, but not going away. And then, uh, and then I was thinking, the Ireland podcast. Nobody's doing it. Nobody's doing it. Don't do it. Don't oh, do yeah. it. Don't do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> and then this one won. So, but a lot of it is from Jordan Peterson's talks, which is sort your own life out. And then, whenever you yeah, think yeah. that you've done, you're able to do so that well, move on to your community. Yeah. And then whenever you can do work that. Out, work outward is the idea, is exactly. work outward and keep doing that. Exactly. But until you, this thing is is stable and together, it's very foolish to try and fuck with other things. Yes. You know what I mean? I love his little thing about you're like, you're like a chimp with a wrench, like whack, yeah. trying to fix a helicopter or something. It's like, like a chimp with a wrench trying to fix a military helicopter when you're trying to mess with these like forces beyond your yeah. greater understanding, when you haven't yet sorted out the fundamental. Um, and it's a very old idea. Like I was saying, you know, I've turned Meditations by Marcus Aurelius into an album. It's basically what he's talking about. All yeah. the stuff that Jocko Wellington Peterson and people like that talk about is stuff that we've known for thousands of years. Yeah. It's in our oldest writings. And we just keep having, to we keep having to remind ourselves of these fundamental things over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that is because the devil, you have, you're talking about you have these voices, right? Mm -hmm. And you could think of one, one voice being God and one being the devil, right? Mm -hmm. 
And the devil will be constantly trying to trick people into the inverse of what they should be doing. So like go out and try and fix the whole world when you're a 14 year old and you don't know what you're doing, right? And go and try and solve the so-called climate crisis or whatever it is as a tiny child when you do not yet even know how to wash your own asshole, you know? And um, that's the inverse, you know what I mean? When, when you're like, oh, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? The devil will be saying, you know, don't do that thing. That will, oh, why do that? What's even the point? Why even bother? Stay in bed, da 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 yeah. yeah. A big part of being useful in the world is is uh, being able to uh, recognize the voice of the devil and the voice of uh, God, mm. which you could think of as your conscious. Yeah. yeah. Right? Versus the thing that sabotages you. Yeah. And uh, the thing that wants you to be weak and lazy and, and, and useless. Well, Peterson talks about this a lot, doesn't he? That what is your manifestation of hell? What is your manifestation <laughs> of heaven? And then, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like a carrot and stick. You know, so the mm-hmm. the hell, that vision of hell, and that's why I gave up alcohol, was, mm. you know, it's very easy once I had that vision of what my life would be like if I was still mm-hmm. drinking. And once, yeah. you know, that was, uh, that was easy. So once I had that vision, it was like, well, I finished with alcohol, you know. Same. When did you do that? 2008. 2008? Yeah. Incredible. What would you Yeah, mean? I was 2018. Yeah, but I'm older. I was a, I was a functioning alcoholic Hollywood DJ, you know. Yeah, um, everyone's just booze, booze, booze in that world. So it was quite difficult to sort of be able to do that. Like, yeah, with what would you be like without it? And actually, it would be better. And actually, not having hangovers every day would mean you'd have all this extra energy and time mm. to do useful shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You wouldn't constantly be waking up drenched in some kind of sorrow slash regret slash confusion slash shame. Yes. So what, what a weird thing, right? To be spending so much of your life just wandering around where like half of your life you're drenched in in, in regret and sorrow and shame and you're not quite sure why because you're not quite sure what you did. What the fuck? But you just know it was wrong. You just know it was fucked up. You're like, oh, I woke up in a skip. I mean, I'm in a skip. I mean, how, what else could have happened to get me to this position? I worked out because it was similar with his. I made that J.B. Jordan P. Peaton's drinking song song and it was based on one of my old Akira the Don songs, the drinking song, but he was talking about and it really made sense to me. It's like, you know, booze is actually great. It's great. You know, of course people like booze. It's super fun. Mm. It's an adventure every time. And I was like, that's what I liked. I love the adventure of booze. You mm. drink a bunch of booze and you get brave and you go on an adventure, random adventure, and you wake up in a skip, you know, and you go, <laughs> what happened? And then people will send you pictures and there's you getting choked out by a bouncer in Harlem. And there's you jumping off a building in, in you know, the Lower East Side or whatever it is. And that's how I got to the skip, you know, but like. That's all well and good, but it's not your adventure. It's like a random adventure. And what's better is an adventure of your choosing. And when you've got an adventure of your choosing and you're, you've decided this is what I'm doing and you're going all on in it, that's, that's awesome. And booze will only get in the way of that and mm. distract you from, from uh, your, actual, your own adventure. You know? So the point is we, all, we love adventure, but you want to pick your own adventure. I was going to ask you what was your pearl, what would be your pearls of wisdom? Because you've done so much of these and, you know, informative texts, these, uh, these uh, speeches by intelligent people. What's, mm. what's, what's the meaning of life for you? Um, <laughs> my son says to me the other day, he goes, hey, Dada, what's the meaning of life? And I was like, why do you ask? He's like, because I know. I said, okay, what's the, what's the meaning of life? And he says, to live, stupid. And I go, yeah, I mean, that's Alan Watts says that. He's like, well, it's so obvious. So I was like, that's what Alan Watts says as well. He goes, but it is. That's the meaning of life is to live. So, okay, there you go. Um, well, yes, indeed. Quite right, too. <laughs> so he knows. I always had this theory that kids, you know, you know when you're little, right? And then sort of society beats it out of you. Mm. And then you have to spend a bunch of time in later years to like relearning and re-remembering and what have you, which kind of goes back into what we were saying earlier about having to constantly remind ourselves of these fundamental, obvious things. Mm. It took me till I was 41 to realize that I needed to uh, sort my body out and not be like a weak wreck, Mm. you know, and actually like get fit in that regard. And that was like uh, one of the most powerful, probably the most powerful and transformative thing I got from doing all this music. I do this Jocko album. He's like, you need your physicality, uh, your mind can never, can only ever be as uh, at the level of your physicality and uh you need to be able to be strong in every aspect of life and you need da, 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 da. talking about burpees and shit i didn't know what a burpee was mm. you know but i do this record and then i was like no i, I kind of have to i've done this record i have to do the stuff that's in the record and it took a while it took a couple of years it took ended up getting locked out of the usa and ended up in mexico 
and uh, going to a coffee shop next door to a gym and every day just seeing these people in this gym and eventually going, all right, okay, I'll go in there and not knowing what I was doing or what they were doing. And I go in there and it's a CrossFit class and I don't even know what that is. And halfway through the first one, I have to go outside and heave in the middle of the road. And they have to show me how to do a squat because I don't even, can't even do a squat. And he's like, hold this thing and go and go down. I'm like, like trying to do, throw a ball at a wall. I can't do, you know, it took, it took months and months of uh, just, just hilarious, just hilarity, just collapsed in a puddle of sweat, just laughing at just, just how awful I was and how completely useless I was in that regard. And then eventually got through that and then got to a point where I was actually competent. And, um, and, uh, and now I feel better than I've ever felt in my life, you know, in general. It's beautiful to see and it's beautiful to hear this. It makes, yeah, it's a, it's a radical transformative thing. I was sold that thing when I was little that, you know, artistic people don't do fitness. And fitness people are like meatheads. And also fitness. And they're the twain art, shall meet. And also artists need uh, an intoxication to get yeah 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 well i was about to say i was yeah, yeah you, as an artist you're supposed to run off and do a load of drugs mm. right and yeah that's what you're supposed to do and and the fitness people they're all meatheads and morons and mm. they're just doing the gym and they just do just they just want to look good or whatever it's good it's, looking good is an, is a nice side effect mm. the the thing is actually about feeling good it's about being good it's about being rooted in the world it's about being capable and useful it's being it's about being able to look after yourself Mm. It's about being able to protect people around you. It's about it's about being able to carry your own weight, mm. figuratively and and uh, literally, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like literally being able to carry your own weight. If you cannot carry your own weight in this life, then you are a burden on others, mm -hmm. and you're making a mess, and you're getting in the way, and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is shining. You're supposed to be this effervescent, beaming light of whatever it is that you have. You're supposed to be adding that to the sort of tapestry of the the painting that is this glorious world. And if any of us are not doing that, then the, the, the image is lacking. You think of it like a, like a TV screen you made up of pixels, right? If all the pixels are boom, boom, firing, then the, the picture works. It's a great movie. But if they're not firing, if you've got dead pixels, that will fuck up the movie for everybody. Right? right. And that's not good. It's funny. Don't be a dead pixel. Don't be a dead pixel. It's funny. I feel like we we're, were talking earlier about, you know, our lives at the start, you, you in Wales and me in Northern Ireland and, um, running around the mucky puddle, you know, for entertainment. <laughs> and now here yeah. we are, both sober, both realizing our potential, potentially, mm. Um, mm. and trying to make an, a positive impact upon the world. And we had a little sort of excursion into an alcoholic uh, mess <laughs> in the middle. So it's it's yeah. it's funny how our, our lives have, and you ended up in the USA and I ended up in China for that eight years. It's weird that our lives have sort of, Dovetailed. Yeah, and we haven't, I haven't talked to you in, it was since a long time. Like 2004. Yeah, yeah. We Basically probably, since like. We probably did voice messages here and there, but nothing, nothing like this. Yeah. A couple, a couple, like you pop up on yeah. Instagram at some point and like, it was only recently as well. I saw yeah. a nice video of you playing some music. It was very lovely and it made me cry. Oh. And uh, I listened to one of your podcasts where you're talking to brother John Rob. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah. 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 And that was nice. But it's like weird, that. we have both ended up in the same spot potentially here as well. And it's, it's just this weird synchronicity going on, you know, between it's me. It's nice when that happens. Because sometimes you, uh, you come across people from the old life and, and they're not doing so well or they've fallen prey to the traps of modernity or they've fallen into mind prisons or they've become, you know, sick or unhealthy or just, you know, whatever it is. Uh, they've continued down certain things and never... Uh, had that opportunity to find the, the potential mm. within them and the glory of uh, of being, you know. So it's always very nice when you find people who've, as you have, mm. uh, had had the correct shape of the the hero's journey type situation. Mm. Yeah. I got seven minutes over. We've gone seven minutes over. So uh, okay, that's wanted, not too bad. You wanted to you wanted to peel off, and we had a delayed start. So I'm sorry about that technology. I think we both sort of. I'd love to do this again. If we don't do it again yes. by uh, by next St. David's Day, maybe we can do it by then. Yes, we should do it again because there's so much to talk about. I have so much yeah. to hear about what you were up to in China. Yeah, and, and I want to um, hear more about um, your interviews as well and, and your techniques. Can you play mm -hmm. guitar yet? What's that? Can you play guitar yet? <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because I'm literally trying to buy one right now. I've been on Facebook Marketplace all week trying to buy a guitar. 
I think I, uh, I think Nick Cave he just went and bought one and just started playing it on stage and you know yeah that's basically well what it is is because like I play I used to have one and I play like five chords or something yeah and then uh, I moved and I couldn't take the thing with me so that didn't continue and now the way I, I write is I write everything um, in um, you know MIDI essentially. Yeah. And uh, so, and I have a lot of plugins that do guitar plug, you know, yeah. these very, that, that imitate a guitar. And if it's a situation where I need it to uh, be, you know, very, way more expressive or re realistic, I send it to a session guitarist to play. Mm -hmm. So I have a bunch of session guitarists I use because I have a lot of guitar on my records. Yeah. And I literally, don't, this week I decided that I wanted to be able to just do it myself. Yeah. Uh, and that was the vibe that I wanted on this record that I'm starting to make right now. And every time I make a new record, I introduce a new process, mm. like a new instrument or a new technology or something. Uh, because part of that zone thing we were talking about, you need to have one foot in chaos and one in order to be in the zone. That's where the zone is. The zone is right between chaos and order. Mm -hmm. So if you get too competent, you get out the zone. So this is why when you hear, that's another thing that happens to musicians. They get too good. And then they stop being able to do anything very special because they're just too technically good. I remember hearing Graham Coxon from Blur talking about how he made Song 2. By when he made that album, he just got too good at guitar. So he started taping his fingers together so he could get back to feeling like he did when he was first playing and be more sort of punk and sort of sloppy and make more accidents and stuff like that. You know. So for this record, yeah, it's introducing me actually playing the guitar is what's going to be the uh, chaos uh, the, to keep me in that place. There's a lot of great guitars having been made in Mexico. You know, was Fender, oh, yeah? Fender had uh, have guitars made in Mexico. No, the, I think the the hierarchy is Mexico is the bottom, but they're still great. And then you got uh, <laughs> Japanese and then USA. So those are the three stages. But yeah, you can get, uh, a, you can get a, I would say get a, a Stratocaster. Um, That's what I was looking at. Yeah, I saw one on Facebook Marketplace for three thousand pesos. How much is that in pounds or euro? Like one hundred and seventy dollars. Oh, buy it if you can afford it. Buy it. That's good. Yeah, yeah. That's and, what I thought. Yeah, and make sure you know it doesn't crackle too much and all this all this stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've loved this. This is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great to see yeah, you here in the dawn, and I'll I'm going to include links to Meeting Wave and all the rest and. Uh, mm. Yeah, we'll we'll talk yeah. again. Yes, we will. Lovely seeing you, you beautiful man. Likewise, my gorgeous fellow. Ah. Happy St. David's Day. Oh, happy St. David's Day, yeah. Happy St. David's Day. Dear yeah, yeah. Derry Sands. Yeah. Dear Derry Sands Happis. There you go. Is that, that's Welsh. Yeah. yeah. Great. Don't dipping back, comrade. Don't cover your dipping. It's one of these things that comes back because it used to really come back when I was drunk. Uh huh. For whatever reason, because I learned when I was little, and then you don't have much use for it out in the world. Yeah. But it, when I would get drunk, I'd start speaking in Welsh. People would think I was speaking in tongues or something, you know. Yeah. I so just go Welsh. I have a similar problem, but whenever I speak in Gaelic now, I speak in Chinese. My brain gets all mixed. <laughs> but I'm not even drinking, so it's just stupidity <laughs> in old age. Mm. Anyway, we'll stop old here. Old age. Oh, yeah. Pembloid Hapis, uh, Manana. So that was two languages then. So that was Welsh, happy birthday tomorrow in Spanish. <laughs> happy birthday tomorrow. It's your birthday, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, lovely. I know. I better get the an uh, uh, nozzle out again, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all those little baby foreskins or whatever it is you're rubbing on your face like Salma Hayek. <laughs> cool, man. Okay, I'm going to go. <laughs> all right, buddy. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Bye. God bless. Bye. Hasta luego. This has been a Solitaire Media original podcast and production. Now the end is near, so I face the final curtain, my friend. I'll see it clear I'll see my keys Which I'm certain It's a godful small affair To the girl to mousy hair But her mommy is yelling no
daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a saddening bore Cause she lived ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As he asked her to focus on sailors Fighting in a dance hall Oh man, look at those cavemen go It's the freakiest show Take a look at the lone man Beating up the wrong guy Oh man, wonder if you'll ever know He's in the best-selling show Is a life on Mars America's torch of brow Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow But the workers have struck for fame Cause Lennon's in sale again See the mass in a million hordes From Ibiza to the Norfolk broads Real Britannia's out of bounds to my mother, my dog, and clowns But the film is a saddening bore Cause I read it ten times or more It's about to be read again As they ask you to focus on sailors Fighting in a dance hall Oh man, look at those cavemen go it's the freakiest show Take a look at the lone man Beating up the wrong guy Oh man, wonder if you'll ever know He's in the best-selling show Is a life on Mars Yes, I did it, my...